Great. What, what a great morning so far. Just wonderful to have the kids telling the true Christmas story. You know, we've been looking the last few weeks at, um, uh, well, at that very thing, haven't we? We've been reading from the Gospels of Matthew and, and Luke. We've been looking at the actual Christmas story. We've been uh, looking at the accounts and reading um, those accounts. But also in those accounts, we see that there have been various problems that lead people to missing Christmas huh? every year. There's people all over the place today. Uh, celebrating uh, Christmas, but they actually miss the real Christmas. Um, and several of the reasons we've gone over the last few weeks, the first was preoccupation, right? The busyness of the Christmas season. We certainly all feel it today. That was evident when we looked at Bethlehem and the worldwide census that was taking place. Bethlehem, the, the, the place, the location of the birth of Jesus, the, the residents of Bethlehem missed it completely because of just the busyness of their circumstances and their life and the innkeeper. And they all missed it because of being preoccupied with other things. The second week, we looked at pride. Pride is another reason people miss Christmas. And we saw that certainly in the extreme example of Herod. King Herod uh, was Herod the Great. And he gave himself the name King of the Jews. But when those wise men came and asked, where, who, where is he who's been born King of the Jews? He, he felt his position and his power were going to be threatened. And so he killed all the male babies. He was seeking to wipe out the competition because he feared losing his power and uh, prestige because of pride. And, and certainly there are, that's a big example, an extreme example, but there are a lot of Herods today because uh, it, pride is, is the root sin of all of mankind. When we don't want to let Christ rule in our lives, we can allow um, all these other things sort of to to um, be more important than, than him. And we are, we're just unwilling to relinquish control to Christ. And we do that because of pride. The third thing we looked at, and this was last week, was really seen by the, the, the pagan Roman nation that occupied Israel at the time. Paganism is the third sort of problem. And, and certainly they were pagans in that they worshiped a, a pantheon of all these false gods, didn't they? they had all these different gods and even uh, Caesar, Caesar Augustus, as great of an emperor as he was, bringing in the Pax Romana and all that, he brought in emperor worship on top of that. So they had all these gods and all these false things that they worshipped. And yet we have the same problem today. Um, we worship uh, money and careers and sex and uh, drugs and, uh, you know, whatever it might be, ambition, whatever it could be that is greater than, than Christ. Those are the things that become sort of the false idols in our uh, world, and we looked at that last uh, last week. I want to look at one more final uh, reason people miss Christmas uh, today, and um, and I, I think you see it really mostly when you look at the um, uh, city of Jerusalem, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, where this took place. Bethlehem was only a few miles away from uh, Jerusalem, and we see it in the in the account given us in Luke chapter two. And I just want to read it again. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. But in Luke chapter two. Um, we saw it dramatized here for us, but let me read you actually what, what the Bible says. In, in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying 
in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. So that's the account of the shepherds and their encounter with the angels and going and finding the babe Jesus. But what strikes me about this is that phrase that they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And no doubt that that widely known uh, extended into Jerusalem, just a few miles uh, from there. And yet we don't really hear anything about the inhabitants of Jerusalem and their response to it. But that is really unusual because the temple was located in Jerusalem. It was the uh, center of religious activity. And it was consumed with uh, uh, feasts and festivals and ceremonies, ritual washings. All of the external forms of religion were taking place in that, that city. But they were so consumed with all of those external things, they missed Christmas entirely. We don't hear of anybody coming from Jerusalem and responding uh, to that. So another way of saying what their problem was, was that they were worshiping the right God, but in the wrong way. What caused them to miss Christmas? This is our fourth P word, piety, piety. Piety is just another word for religion or, or religious devotion, uh, religious activity for the inhabitants of Jerusalem had replaced a heart for God. It was all about the activities. It was all about the the rituals and the ceremonies. And today, we have to be so careful of that. Religious activity is not synonymous with true righteousness. But we see so much of this in churches today, people who are active in uh, churches, um, and yet their hearts are not really devoted to the Lord. They're practicing religious activities, but there's no inward change that has taken place, just the outward. They've joined a church, maybe. Maybe they give to the church. Maybe they serve in the church. Maybe they sing in the choir. Um, But remember King Saul, the first king of Israel. He He served the God of Israel, but he was disobedient to God. He didn't, he didn't connect it. He didn't realize it. And he had to get a message from the prophet Samuel. And this is what Samuel had to instruct him on. In 1 Samuel 15, Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. He had to tell the king, Listen, it's not about all these things you're doing. God just wants your heart. He wants you to be obedient to him. And there is a very, very frightening example of this in the New Testament at the beginning of the church. In Acts chapter 5, Jesus has been crucified on the cross. He has risen from the dead. He has ascended into heaven. His disciples and all have seen it. And so now the church on earth has begun. And we find out about this amazing church and all the things that they're doing. But then there's, (coughs) excuse me, there's this couple that, um, that come 
to the church and to the leaders of the church, and they offer things to the church, but something terrible happens. In Acts chapter 5, it says this, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira and his wife, they sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it. They brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. We find out as you read, continue to read that the wife came separately later after they carried the dead body of the husband out. And, and she lied to them too, and she was struck down. And the question is this, why did God strike these people down? They were part of the church. They were bringing things to the church. They gave an offering to the Lord. It, 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 it wasn't their act of giving. It was that in their act of giving, they lied about it. They lied. And you go, well, okay, so they lied. They just told a lie. What's the big deal? I mean, it's just lying after all. Well, in Revelation 21, the end of the Bible we're told this, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, boy, that's a, that's a heavy list. But then it says, and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It tells us that lying is a serious offense, a pretty, pretty, pretty big penalty. Why such a severe penalty on, 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 on liars? Well, John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus had to speak to the people of Israel and explain to them the same thing. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So he goes back to Satan. It says Satan's a, a murderer and he's a liar. That's, that's, that's Satan. He's the father of lies. And those who continue in his works, whether it's murder or even deceit, even lying. They're manifesting the characteristics of their father. It's paternal. God, he's saying, is not their father. Otherwise, they would manifest his characteristics. That's the point that Jesus makes. You go back to the example of Ananias and Sapphira. They demonstrated that they were not real believers because no heart change had taken place. What they are an example of are the classic example of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy among the religious, hypocrisy among uh, in the middle of the church. They faked their spirituality to impress others. And it's like we've been studying in the book of Hebrews. I'll go through this briefly, but in, in chapter 6, uh, we're, we're told in Hebrews that the people were once enlightened. And enlightened just means they, they, they understand the gospel. On an intellectual level, they, they, they understand the Bible. I've heard the message. I, I, I get it. <coughs> um, but... It's only on that level. It doesn't go any deeper. We're told that they tasted the heavenly uh, gift, probably a reference to salvation. And you can taste salvation. You can taste it, but you, you can lack drinking fully of it and accepting it fully. That's the whole parable of the, the, the soils. People who hear the gospel reach out for that salvation, and in, there's an initial joy a, a, about it. But the things of this world drown, drown out the, uh, the gospel from them. They've become partakers of the Holy Spirit. Um, partakers means to participate in or to share uh, in. 
They're not said to possess the Holy Spirit. They're not said to have the Spirit indwelling them, but they partake it. And if you're an unbeliever today and you're sitting with us and enjoying all this, you, you don't even know it, but you've partaken of the Holy Spirit. Because the work and ministry that you've seen taking place here happens through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's those people. They've tasted the word of God, we're told, the, the powers of the age to come. All of these uh, things are, are not evidence of salvation. They've just been around religious activity. But none of these things speak of true salvation, regeneration. We're told that we need to become born again. That's the phrase, isn't it? Born a- again. And so I just want to close by taking us to a passage and pointing out some things. It's Ephesians chapter 4. If you want to turn there with me, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us about true salvation. And it's not religious activity, but it's seen in a transformed life. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24, it talks about this new man and what the new man is to look like. Verse 17, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So he says, listen, the Gentiles, the rest of the world walks a certain way and looks a certain way. But you haven't learned that in Christ. Christ teaches us a new life. He says there's an, a new you. You have to put off the old and put on the new. So yes, the, the, the Spirit comes in and does a work. But we actually have to allow that to happen. We have to put on and put off. So how do you avoid piety? If you want to get to the question, how do we avoid just being consumed with religious activity? We've got to put on the new man in true righteousness and holiness. So I just want to give you characteristics of this new man that are given to us here in Ephesians chapter uh, four characteristics of the new man. It begins in verse 25. The first thing that he's not a liar. He's not a liar. Look at verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for you are members of one another. Isn't that interesting? Earlier, we saw Ananias and Sapphira, two people in the early church who lied. God struck them down. He said, that's not an example of people who have been regenerated. The rest of the world lies. And he might say, well, come on. Well, listen, exaggeration, cheating, making false excuses. Those things are all forms of lying. We lie all of the time. But he says, listen, that is not an evidence of the new man. He says, you've got to put off the false talking. Speak truth with his neighbor. The, the hypocrisy you see in the church is deceit. I've got it all together. I, I'm, I'm the perfect Christian. Look at my family. Don't we look great? Don't we act great? All that is deceit. All that's lying. That's hypocrisy. He says, you need to put that off and speak truth to your neighbor. We should have honest, open communications with one another in church. We should be able to go and say, brother, sister, I don't have it all together. Would you help me? Would you encourage me? Because when we just go and say, oh, look at me. I've got it all together. We're lying. We're putting on a false show, and that's called hypocrisy. Characteristics of the new man, he's not a liar. Second thing, he's not angry. Look at verses 26 to 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. We can be angry about righteous things, and we should 
be angry over the immorality and ungodliness of this world, but not angry people. We shouldn't be angry to the point of sin. That's why we see in the requirements for an elder in the church, he's not to be easily angered because you're not to be known by your uh, anger. Um, angry people don't, don't uh, demonstrate the work of the Spirit. We can be concerned about the things. We can be angered about things, but that shouldn't be the primary thing that comes out um, in our attitude. So he's not a liar. He's not an angry person. Also, he's not a thief. You look at this and go, well, we're not thieves. Look at verse 28. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give him who has need. I have a great example of this uh, this past week during Christmas season. My wife, I bought her for, for Valentine's Day last year a Pandora charm bracelet. It was a rough year. She lost her father. Well, I'm going to go splurge on my wife a bit there. But this year she said, I'd like to, uh, maybe another charm for that, that, that bracelet. Um, and um, I went on Pandora. I looked them up. I ordered one. And rather than trust the postal service because you don't know what's going on there, I said, I'll do the click and collect. Well, if you know where Pandora is, it's in City Center. So I was like, oh, I have to brave uh, City Center. Well, once... Once I ordered it and did that, then it gave me an email saying you have five days to pick it up. Once you've picked it up, you'll be charged. But if you don't pick it up, the order will be canceled. You won't be charged. So that was the week I was sick. So two days I was sick. So the third day came up. I said, I better get down and pick that up. So I went down. It was the most packed place in the place. But I went in there. I got that Pandora charm. I came back. Next day, I got an email saying, oh, you got one day left to pick up the charm or it's going to be canceled. The next day, I got, okay, this is the last day to pick up the charm or it's going to be canceled. I'm like, what is going on here? Monday this week, I got to okay, we canceled your order, and you won't be charged. And yet, here I hold in my hand this 40-pound Pandora charm. Now, two things were occurring to me. Uh, <laughs> now, you guys all go there. You're like, well, look what God has done for me. <laughs> Isn't he so good? Like, he just, things are tight. Energy bills are going up. He just gave me this. We go there, we go there, but is that where we should go as Christians? Two things, actually, I thought about, I thought about. One is, like, there is a gap in the administration of, of how this works in that business, you know, in terms of click and collect, and that probably, I'm not the first person that it happened to. It probably happens a lot. I really want the managers there to know. And secondly, I've got now a product in my hand that doesn't belong to me because I didn't purchase it. So I did Brave City Center again with our family because Ryan wanted to go, so I said, I have to go do something on my own. So I went in there, I waited in line again, I got a young lady, and this is how I told her, I said, so here's all my emails, I ordered Pandora, um, it says then I got one day and I got no days, right, I, I showed her everything, and it's been canceled, she goes, oh yeah, that's how they do it, I said, yeah, but here's the, here's the trick, and I pulled it out, and the slip it came with, I did actually come in and pick it up, and her eyes got big, she went, oh, oh, okay, well, let me take those things, and she went, and she disappeared in another room, for five minutes, I waited out there, I got, what is going on in here? She came out with a manager, and the manager came up, and she said, oh, sorry about that. I don't know how that happened. They're supposed to be. I said, yeah, that was my concern. There's probably some process. The young girl was busy. She just opened up a cabinet, saw my name, and gave it to me. There's probably something she needed to click or something, and it's not happening, so maybe you can be aware to further cover that. She goes, yeah, and I just want to tell you, I appreciate your goodwill, and you can keep it. We're not going to charge you. Wow. So she gave it to me. And I think a lot of times we do go and we go, oh, look at this. You know, it just kind of slipped through the radar. It's not my fault. I didn't make the clerical error. And so God has kind of gifted me this. But is that the kind of people we're to be? Instead, he blessed me instead by just being honest and going, say, I, I, I didn't purchase this. It's not mine. 
and I want to pay for it. But I'll tell you, she came out with that young girl and two others because they were all standing there like, like what? And they wanted to see my reaction when she said, we're going to gift this to you, which I was really humble. I was like, are you sure this is, I'm happy to, because no, no, just thank you so much. So I just share that not to say like, oh, I've got it all together. But I remember early in my Christian walk, a man used to work on lifts. And um, someone asked him one time, have you ever found any money, any change or anything that felt, you know, he goes, I found $10,000 one time. I said, what? So all the guys were like, whoa, what? You found 10 grand underneath the lift. He goes, yeah. They, What'd you do? He's like, well, I did turn it in. And everyone went, well, you turned it in? He goes, yeah. Now here, he was a Christian. His reason was what struck me. I thought he said, well, because that's the right thing to do. And that's what believers we should be. No, that wasn't his reason. His reason was it wasn't life-changing enough. And he said that amongst everyone else. And I thought, wait a minute. So if you found a million dollars, you would have kept it because that's enough to warrant me being dishonest. So I share that to say, no, there's supposed to be something that triggers in us when the Holy Spirit really comes in. We began to look and act different than the world, not as the Gentiles do. And Ephesians starts to walk through very outward, plain things. We don't lie. We're not angry people. And we don't steal things that don't belong to us. The fourth thing, he's not foul-mouthed. Verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. What is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Instead, we choose words that will build up the church, words that are seasoned with salt, filled with grace. Uh, those are the things that are prevalent in the world, aren't they? Angry people, people out to for themselves, selfish people, foul-mouthed people, but those aren't the characteristics of the believer. And when you look at verse 30, it just sort of bundles all those things together um, in 31. It kind of gives us the, the, the overall thing. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Ananias and Sapphira lied about how much money they gave, but they grieved the Holy Spirit. Peter said, you lied to the Holy Spirit. And an example was made of them at the early church to say, we really are to look different. And so instead, we're giving some things that summarize the changes that should take place. Look at verses 31 to 32. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, but be kind to one another. So what he's not is now what he is. He's a kind person, virtuous, it's good, pleasant. He is tender-hearted. Be tender-hearted. That's a compassionate uh, person, and be forgiving. And we certainly know what forgiving is because he gives us an example there, as God in Christ forgave you. And so as we looked at these things this, this year, we looked at the preoccupation of Christmas and pride, and we looked at the paganism. I think piety is probably a serious thing because the religiosity of things, we can feel like we're righteous or holy by the activities that we do. But here we're told, no, we're actually to look different and act different in the world. We're children of God, and we, we should look like our Heavenly Father. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks for uh, just coming today and having a great um, time together and supporting the kids. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up and give us a closing song, and I'm going to pray, and we'll be done for the day. God, thank you so much for your word to us today. We thank you so much for the children and uh, our young people who were part of the Nativity play. Oh, Lord, it's so important for them to, to be part of putting Christmas where it belongs, Lord, back in the truth of Scripture and the story that was told by them. We thank you for those that helped bring all those things together, so many hands, people sewing costumes and, and um, doing music and being part of, of, of the, uh, the, the whole program. Lord, we just thank you for everyone's efforts to bring that to us today, and we pray that your people will be blessed and encouraged as we lead today. We pray these things in Jesus' name.